This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Instant Reaction Podcast Game 1 American League Championship Series. The New York Yankees get first blood in Houston against the Astros doing something they could not do at all in 2017. In 2017, when the Yankees played Game 1, Game 2, Game 6, and Game 7 in Houston, they could not freaking hit. That was their biggest problem. Plain and simple. And tonight, over the first three innings, you weren't sure what to expect because Zach Ranke comes out, has a pretty clean first inning, though I'll tell you, Aaron Judge's ball looked like it was out off the bat, but something's up with the baseball in the postseason. I I can't prove it, obviously, but off the bat, Judge, second batter of the game, I thought the ball was going out, but it turned into a routine fly ball to center field. And then in the second inning with this offense, they get the infield hit from Giancarlo Stanton, and Brett Gardner hits this screaming line drive at Julie Gurriel, but it's right at him, turns into a double play. The next inning, Alex Bregman is looking like Brooks Robinson making that incredible uh, leaping catch on the Gio Urshela line drive. So for the first three innings against Zach Granke, it kind of felt like bad luck, a little bit of bad luck, the judge ball, the DD, uh, the Brett Gardner ball, and then the Gio Urshela ball. But also, maybe we're going to see the same thing we saw in 2017 where the Yankees can't score runs. The good news was Masahiro Tanaka. And listen, there's no debate anymore. There's no discussion anymore. I don't think we're ever going to have to take a phone call about Tanaka's 4.5 ERA during the regular season. He's a different pitcher. He made that clear two years ago. He's made it clear again in 2019. He's a different pitcher guy in the postseason and what we saw from Masahiro Tanaka in game one was utterly brilliant now I know what everybody's thinking everybody's thinking the same thing did they need to pull him after six innings and you know my view on this you know my opinion on this I'm old school if a starting pitcher can keep going you should never be in a rush to take him out but I also know that history is written by the winners And remember, right before Aaron Boone slash Brian Cashman had to make the decision about keeping Tanaka in or taking him out, the Yankees busted the game open. And so this decision, I'm not saying I would have done it, all right? I'll get to that. But the decision felt and looked differently at 3-0 as compared to 5-0. Admit that. Because at 5-0, you're not worried about the game anymore. 
I mean, honestly, when you're handing the baseball to Ottavino and Britton and Chapman, and sure, crazy stuff can happen. Ottavino has been shaky. But you're not as worried about the game as you would have been if it's a one-run game or it's a two-run game or in the case of what we thought at the time, a three-run game. But let's examine the Tanaka decision, and then we'll get the Glaber Torres and we'll crown him. What I don't understand, what I, what I just fully don't comprehend about the Tanaka plan that the Yankees have is that we have expressed, and I think the Yankees know this, I know this, you know this, everybody now knows that regular season Tanaka is different than playoff Tanaka, right? We all know this. We all know that in 2017, Tanaka had a brutal ERA. Had like, what, was it 4-6, 4-7? Wasn't very good. Comes out, postseason, dominant. This season, very up and down season. He had a couple of bad starts that really spoiled his ERA, specifically in London. But Tanaka's regular season numbers do not matter in October. Do we all agree with that? Is that not just an obvious statement? Okay. All right. We're all on the same page. Regular season Tanaka, different than postseason Tanaka. Okay. Well, what basis and what facts are Cashman and Boone using to pull Tanaka out right before he's about to face guys third time around the order, right? We hear these stats, and they are alarming. I'm not lying. First time around, second time around, to third time around. Guys become all-stars when they face Tanaka third time around. I'm not disputing the facts, but where do we get those stats from? What's the sample size we use to get those stats? Oh, that's right. The regular season. Oh, you mean the same regular season where Tanaka has a four and a half ERA? Yeah, that regular season. Take the freaking numbers about first time around, second time around, and third time around, and shove it. Shove it. Why would we even care about those numbers when we know Tanaka is a different pitcher in October? What the hell am I missing? This is the formula, Evan. This is the plan. The plan? Things are different in October. Things are freaking different. Masahiro Tanaka, I feel like I'm screaming the same thing over and over again because it's so damn true. He is a great postseason pitcher. The sample size, which started with just the wild card game against the Astros in 2015 and then expanded with a couple of starts in 2017, I think four starts in 2017 in the postseason, including that brilliant, utterly brilliant game five start against Houston. And then it continued last year with the game two start at Fenway against the Red Sox. And then it's continued again this year. The sample size is growing because now that sample size is showing you that Masahiro Tanaka has begun his career as one of the great postseason pitchers we've seen. I'm not saying he's Madison Bumgarner yet or Sandy Koufax or Christy Mathewson yet, but look at the numbers. So we understand that, yet the Yankees are making decisions based on regular season Tanaka. The decision that Tanaka can't go third time around is based on stats that are compiled during the regular season. He's a different guy Masahiro Tanaka of course he should have started the seventh inning I mean come on of course he should have and if you don't agree with that and you say but this is their plan Evan here's my question to you and I want you to think about this what if he had a perfect game going now seriously he wasn't even that far off from a perfect game I mean think about it he gave up one base hit to Kyle Tucker 
and he drew or issued the walk to Alex Bregman, in which I think three of the balls were actually strikes. So even in the walk that he issued to lead off the fifth inning, it wasn't even really a walk. And I think there may have been one hit hard ball again, uh, two hard hit balls against him. The line drive by Alvarez that was hit right at Aaron Judge. I, I shouldn't even say right at Aaron Judge. Judge actually had to move a few steps and then turn the great double play. The ball wasn't even hard against him. They were hitting weak ground balls, which, by the way, the Yankees positioned perfectly. I mean, my God, the Yankee positioning. See, I give the Yankee analytic department some credit. Their positioning was brilliant, and it started right out of the gate with the George Springer ground out. But come on with this. Let's pull Tanaka after six because the stats tell us third time around he sucks. Yeah, regular season Tanaka is different than playoff Tanaka. Now, a couple of more thoughts on Tanaka and we'll get to everything else. Can I give you a positive? Now, I said this on the air a couple of days ago. I said, look, if you're going to run with Tanaka like this, where his pitch count is going to be very low, because you're taking him out after five or six innings. And his pitch count was insanely low tonight. It was 68. 68. If that's what you're going to do, the one thing then you should also do is pitch him on short rest. Now, Tanaka has never pitched on three days rest. I understand that. But right now, I'm feeling a little frisky about postseason Tanaka. I'm feeling a little crazy about postseason Tanaka. I'm sort of feeling that with 68 pitches and it being October, it's probably worth the risk to go to Tanaka on short rest because you know what that reward can also yield if you go to Tanaka on short rest in game four? Not just game four, but now he becomes a factor for game seven. And you know, you you may think I'm going overboard by saying this. I don't really care because I got the facts to back me up. I'm starting to treat Tanaka like a super race. You know, one of those guys where you say one, four, seven. I want him in game one. I want him in game four. I want him in game seven. I'd be saying that about Jacob DeGrom if the Mets actually made the playoffs. And I'm certainly saying it about Tanaka. One, four, seven. And by the way, the Astros should be doing the same thing, even though it means Zach Greinke is going one, four, seven. But if you're going to limit Tanaka, which they did tonight to 68 pitches, One of the things that you can also benefit from is that he should come back on short rest. I'm not worried about it. There's no track record that says he sucks on short rest. He's never done it. And right now with Tanaka, boy, I'd I'd have confidence in anything. I mean, I, I would have confidence in doing anything with this guy. He was so brilliant, utterly brilliant tonight. But if he had a perfect game, I mean, they'd take him out. And look, I'm not even going to criticize Aaron Boone because one thing I say about managers is that you can only pre-plan certain things with your GM, you know, because we we all figure the general manager, and certainly in the Yankees' case, is the pseudo-manager. But there are certain things you can't plan. This is planned. This is coming from Cashman. This isn't Aaron Boone taking out a binder Joe Girardi style and analyzing things. This is a discussion that happens behind the scenes where Cash says two times around the order, Don't break the rule. And look, it became easier because the Yankee offense started to wake up. And obviously, the captain, the leader, the star of the Yankee offense for game one was Glaber Torres. And I don't know if you know this. I'm going to break some news for you. He's 22. Did you know that? 
I only say that sarcastically because I think I've heard his age 555 times recently. But, you know, I get why it's mentioned. You marvel at how good he is. You marvel at how spectacular he is. And in this game, he was spectacular. And it started with the RBI double because that first run was so important. Because like I said, the Yankees were hitting in a bad luck. The Brett Gardner line drive at Gurriel. The Gio Urshela line drive that should have been a double. Bregman makes this great leaping catch. And even though there are some guys in this lineup that didn't experience 2017, I don't know, meant the ledge. Get a run in. Show you can do it. And remember, DJ LeMahieu led off the fourth with a base hit. It was a first pitch, went right after it, base hit in the left field. He advanced the second on a wild pitch, and Judge struck out. Now, I'm not trying to rip Aaron Judge. There's very little to rip him on because even when he's not hitting home runs, which he hasn't done in the postseason, or driving in runs, which he hasn't done yet in the postseason, he's still getting on base, stealing bases, and playing spectacular defense in right field. But Judge strikes out. And you're probably thinking, oh, you can't blow this. Runner on second, nobody out of me. You got advance him to third. Let's go. Little ball, do something. And Glaber Torres attacked the very first pitch from Zach Ranke, rips the RBI double, and gives Tanaka the run that he needed. And that's all he needed. And remember, in the fifth, they had another opportunity with two on, one out. Didi hits that ball to right field, which again, off the bat, I thought I had a chance to get out. And there's probably a home run at Yankee Stadium. LeMahieu can't come through with guys on base, so it's still one nothing. And then we saw the power. We saw Glaber Torres, again, attack a first pitch, which the Yankees did really well against Zach Ranke with. They did that a couple of times in this game, ambushing him. But he hits the home run. Giancarlo Stanton, boy, we can't forget him. I mean, <laughs> you know, Stanton, let's give him some love because I think that the story coming out of the game one victory is going to be mostly about Glaber Torres and Masahiro Tanaka and defense of Aaron Judge and the defense of DJ LeMahieu. And you almost forget that Giancarlo hit a line drive rocket opposite field home run. We got to give him some love. Come on. Yankee fans love to kill Stanton. Well, even when he does hit a home run, it's not clutch. I mean, this was clutch. It's a 2-0 game. It was a long at-bat. He's staying alive. Good job by Giancarlo. He's got the Yankee fans off his back for a couple of days. And I'll tell you, 3-0. When Tanaka comes out for the sixth inning and barely breaks a sweat, I mean, just you know, cruises through the sixth inning, you start to see the discussion between Buck and Smoltz. But forget them that they're talking about pulling Tanaka, you're seeing action in the Yankee bullpen. Now, Tommy Canely was warming up with an eye on Michael Brantley. That's why he was warming up. If Tanaka put a couple of guys on base and there were two on and two out, we were going to probably see Tommy Canely, which, by the way, I, I still think would have been stupid. I understand why Canely's warming up. I'm telling you why for that situation, but I'm not taking Tanaka out. I am not in a rush, even with a dominant bullpen, to take him out, but... You can see the wheels working, and you can see. That's why when Adovino started the seventh, you, you couldn't have been shocked. Not just because of the Yankee formula they've been using, but because you saw action in the bullpen. But as the seventh inning was going on, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, what about Tanaka? What about Tanaka? There's two outs and nobody on. Ryan Presley, who... For about a year, was as dominant a reliever as you could find. Remember, the Astros brought him in, and what else is new? They made a good pitcher 
a superstar great pitcher, but over the last few months, it's probably because he hasn't been 100%. Ryan Presley has not been the same dominant guy. And the Yankees hit him with the two-out magic. Didi with the base hit, which looked like a double off the bat, but it crammed, 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 crammed. I'm, I'm tired. It caromed. There you go. It caromed off the stands, and they held him to a single, but then DJ gets a hit. Judge rips a base hit, which they I would have sent Didi, I, personally. I would have sent them, but Phil Nevin is smarter than me. And so it set up bases loaded for Glaber Torres, and, you know, can I second-guess A.J. Hinch? Can I do that? Why the hell not? This is just a podcast. We're not doing New York Sports Talk Radio. I'm getting Presley out right then and there. I'm not letting him face Glaber. I'm not. Presley had just given up three consecutive base hits. They were all hit pretty hard. I'm done with him. Get him out. And I know that looks good now because Josh James came in and was ridiculous, dominating the four batters he faced, including Edwin Encarnacion. And I know Glaber didn't rip it, but... Give Glaber a lot of credit. Reaches, bloops one into short center field. This is why contact matters. If you put the ball in play, good stuff can happen. He bloops in the two-run single. And I think at that moment, not only are you thinking, oh, it's 5 nothing," but now you're relaxed about this Tanaka decision. Because here's what happened between 3 nothing and 5 nothing. This is the way I would define it. You tell me if you felt this way or not. At 3 nothing, pulling Tanaka, you're pissed you're throwing stuff and you're fearing the worst because it's still a game and because even though you trust Adovino and Britton and Chapman it's three it's this Astro lineup you don't feel great about it and you can see this game turning and really the series turning because if god forbid they blew this game we knew game one was important anyway just based on the pitching matchups and what's coming up next we've talked about this game one was incredibly important more so than normal but if they ever blew a lead when they decided to take out the dominant Masahiro Tanaka, it would have just been off the charts horrible. But once they went up five, it went from vitriol and nervousness to just annoyance. That's the way I looked at it. That it was just annoying that they pulled Tanaka. Not end of the world stuff, not relevant to the outcome of this game stuff, but annoying. Because I think most people listening, whether you consider yourself old school or new school or whatever school, you don't want to see a starting pitcher pulled when he's dominating. You don't. Who would? It doesn't mean you have to be like me where you enjoy pitcher duel, pitching duels the way I have with this Washington-St. Louis series. I love that stuff. I, I, I find it really entertaining. And by the way, Yankees-Astros in 2017 featured a lot of those. And tonight was one of those. I mean, think about it. Zach Greinke going into the sixth inning, it's a it's a one nothing game. But you don't want to see a starting pitcher pulled when he's pitched six innings, has only put two guys on base, and his pitch count is 68. Nobody wants to see that. But it went from 3 nothing, or if it was even closer, 2 nothing. if it was, it went from, oh, my God, this is going to be a freaking disaster, into, okay, this is annoying. I don't like it. It's annoying. And I'm curious to see if the Yankees, and look, if they're up three games to zero, it's different. But even at 2-1, I would go with Tanaka. I'm telling you, I would. Because it's more than just, I want to go to Tanaka on short rest because I really want to get game four. I need game four. It's not even that, because I'm not even suggesting that Paxton has to go on short rest or Severino has to go on short rest. 
What I'm suggesting is it opens up the possibility that I've got Tanaka for Game 7 as well. Because he's my priority right now. He is my ace. He is my, my guy who I need on the mound. I need the Astros to have to go beat Masahiro Tanaka. And that means maximizing the amount of times he's out there. So if 68 pitches and pulling him after six turns into Tanaka on short rest, I think that's pretty good. And by the way, if you're curious, because you're saying, well, wait, 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 wait a second. You want Tanaka 147. You're not necessarily wanting Paxton or Severino on short rest. How would you line up the rotation? I'll tell you exactly how I'd line it up. Game five would be the bullpen day. And then I've got Paxton for game six and Severino out of the bullpen in a game seven. Maybe even out of the bullpen for a game six, too. I could almost team up Paxton and Severino in a game six. And look, depending on the way the series unravels, you know, maybe you do go to a James Paxton on short rest. He doesn't have experience doing it either. But if there's one thing that you can take advantage of from 68 pitches of Tanaka is going home on short rest. Enough about Tanaka, though. All right, we get it. He's brilliant. He's great. And it's kind of nuts that he was pulled after six innings, one hit, four strikeouts, one walk, and 68 pitches. Let's get to one decision that looks utterly fantastic. And that was the lineup change, which I got to tell you, I didn't see coming. And the Astros made a roster change, which I think may have led to this. And let's start with what the Astros did. The Astros pulled Wade Miley from their postseason roster. We had talked about Wade Miley, and what I had said about Wade Miley is there's no way in the world I could have him start game four. And that was a part of why I figured Houston should be also a team that goes short rest. Granky 147. Verlander, bring him back on short rest. Garrett Cole on short rest. Do everybody on short rest because I need those three guys starting every one of my postseason games. I can't start Wade Miley. I don't have any confidence in her quitty who's still on the roster. But the Astros wisely took Miley off the roster. Wade Miley has sucked now for the better part of a month and a half to two months. And against this lineup, why would you ever use him? So that was a very good call by the Astros, but it opens up questions about what they would do. Would they actually start Brad Peacock, who hasn't started a game since, what is it, May? Would they start the young year quitting? What do they do in a game for? But that's their problem. But what they did by eliminating Miley is they don't have any lefties, any lefties on their staff in this series. And so when you talk about splitting lefties up, usually you do it because... If you have lefties hitting back-to-back and then they go to a left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen, now you're stuck with that lefty facing back-to-back lefties. You don't have to worry about that. The Astros don't have any lefties. And so even though the Astros made that move, I was still surprised that the Yankees changed anything with their lineup. But they did. They flipped Glaber Torres and Brett Gardner. So Glaber hits third, Gardner drops the sixth. And they flip Didi and Geo. So not a coincidence that the guys being affected are the left-handed bats, considering the Astros don't have any lefties they can throw at you. But what I loved about it when I first read it about an hour or two before first pitch was what I loved about it was the Glaber factor. Because Glaber Torres has become one of their best players. He just has. When you look at what the Yankees have accomplished in 2019 with all the injuries that they had, Glaber was a rock. And the number three spot and the number two spot in your lineup are still kind of designed for your best hitters. And boy, did it look brilliant. Oh, my God. Major credit to Cashman and Boone. As much as I'm killing him on Tanaka, I mean, (laughs) every big spot found Glaber Torres. And right now, if you're a Yankee fan, he's the guy you'll want up in a big spot. 
He's the guy you trust. And so he gets that RBI double with a runner on second, one out. He hits the home run to give them some insurance in the sixth, and then obviously the big spot in the seventh, and then even tacked one on the ninth inning. So he ended up with five RBIs in this game, but the move of Glaber to the three-hole worked out brilliantly. I I tend to think, for the most part with lineups, that sometimes it can be overrated. I mean, obviously you want your best players hitting towards the top of the order. I, I don't think it's overrated if you're taking your best hitter and you're hitting him seventh that's just stupid and obviously you don't want crappy players hitting second third or fourth a la Robinson Cano for a big part of the Mets season but when you have a lot of good players sometimes you overthink it and I think it becomes overrated but it boy did it work in game one my god (laughs) I mean what a performance by Glaber Torres and what a performance by the defense that was something very big in the Minnesota series the Yankees played great defense I thought that continued tonight and the guy I got to give a lot of credit to is DJ LeMahieu really good defense at first base for a guy that had not played much first base at all until this season and really until recently he has started to look like he belongs because I think for a while I'd say LeMahieu can play first base okay but he's not a first baseman that's how I would define him I mean, he looked like a first baseman tonight. He bailed out Didi Gregorius on that bad throw to start the second inning. That could have been bad. He made a bunch of scoops, including on the Aaron Judge double play. Judge should get a lot of credit for what he did. He moved a few steps to his right, I think, to get Jordan Alvarez's line drive and then had the frame of mind to know, hey, I got Bregman off first base. And even without the trip, it would have been a very close play, but Bregman obviously tripped. Judge makes the throw. It's bounced. LeMahieu scoops it out. Great play by DJ. Great play by Aaron Judge. The only defensive miscue, and it turned out to be kind of a footnote because they got out of it, was the confusion on the Altuve ground ball in the seventh. When Didi and Glaber kind of came together, Glaber stopped at second, almost waiting for a flip. Didi started staring at him, and so it turned out to be a little bit of a cheap hit for Altuve. But give Adovino credit, man. The next pitch he threw was Bregman bouncing into a double play. That could have been a defining moment. Not only pulling Tanaka, but that play if the Astros had rallied back. And, of course, they could rally back. They have a high-powered offense. The problem for the Astros right now is they have not hit. They didn't hit in the Tampa series, and obviously they didn't hit in game one of this series. They have not scored runs in the first six postseason games that they've played. And Yankee fans could tell you that may not ch- they, that may not just change because you got a lot of good hitters. The Yankees have had plenty of postseasons where they've got a lot of good hitters and they just don't hit. And let this be a reminder. We've always talked whenever the Yankees had struggles scoring runs, they strike out too much. That was the problem that they had. The Astros don't strike out a lot, and they're struggling to score runs. They only struck out six or seven times tonight. And in general, they're not a high strikeout team, but they're just not hitting right now. For the Yankees, this was a game that they really needed to have. I think it takes the pressure off in game two, but look, still go for the kill like Washington was able to do against St. Louis. The next two games are going to be very, very tricky, but if you can win one of these next two games against Verlander and Cole and be up 2-1 with game four and five at Yankee Stadium, obviously game three, four and five at Yankee Stadium, but I'm just talking frame of these next two games, you feel very good about this series. But things felt different in game one than it certainly ever did in 2017 they could not hit in houston in 2017 they scored three runs in four games during that series they doubled that number plus tonight 
And so if you're a Yankee fan out there tonight, good for you. You're three wins away from getting to the World Series. That's all I've got to say. Joe and I will obviously talk a lot about this series Monday at 10 a.m. on WFN as well as all the football. But I figured we're not going to be able to spend too much time on game one because we'll be talking about game two and everything else. So that's kind of why I was inspired to do this tonight. Hopefully you enjoyed it. This instant reaction game one ALCS edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.